0: Very sweet. Thank you so much. All righty. Good to see everybody. We're going to go to Romans chapter 5 here in just a minute. I hate preaching with a big fat wallet in my front pocket, so Doug, if you would hold that, I appreciate that. There's no cash. It's just a, just a pin. So... Um. I got a crazy request. If not possible, Chris, you're amazing. I throw pictures at this guy, like in the, in the third worship song, I say, Hey, can you put this up there? He never failed me. Are we, are we Facebook friends? Are you able? He doesn't know on my Facebook page. I posted a video or, or Christy, I don't know if you could find this. I posted a video of my mother singing, um, if, we, if, if it's possible to get that at the end of the message, um, I don't know if it is or not, so we'll see. But if it's all possible, all things are possible up in the sound booth. I see movement. <laughs> anyway, man, this summer, we had an unbelievable experience. Am, am I on? Boom. Oh, right there. Yeah. Voila. We look all refreshed and showered and clean and outdoorsy. That's not a cloud uh, right over my head. That's a mountain. Uh, that's the Himalayan mountains directly over my head up there like a, like a cone right there. Um, that triangle is part of the greatest mountain range in all the world. And uh, of course, that is the wonderful Uh, Nick Robertson right there, and the great Alex Grant. Um, And we're sporting some NCU swag on the other side of the planet at the top of the world. Took this photograph. There was a team of eight of us went, and um, we trekked 62 miles or 65 miles, I think was the full loop. We had a guy from Chicago that had a Fitbit. He was monitoring all the the uh, steps we took. Ministered in villages, uh, trained pastors, uh, built relationships with the Nepalese uh, people. It, this was my seventh trip. I've gone every summer except last summer before last when I took this new role. I took one summer off. Uh, but I hope I get to go the rest of my life um, for those 10 to 12 days. We're actually talking about going to base camp now uh, um, up, in, up in the Himalayas. But I will tell you, um, Alex Grant, where, where are you, Alex? you're right in front of me, is a tremendous leader. And I am very grateful that he and I have become friends, even though we're so busy, crazy in this other world than we were there. Um, But great preacher, great teacher of the word, moves powerfully in the gifts of the spirit. And we had a tremendous time uh, in Nepal. And I will tell you the revelation of my life, faculty, staff, student body, was hearing Nick Robertson preach. I, I could not believe the experience I had with this man's preaching through an, in, he, he preached without an interpreter in what language? Hindi. Hindi. Alex, am I right? I, I never, I mean, literally the roof caught on fire. I, I don't know what else to say, but I, I just did not know that was in you like that. And it was one of the most powerful, powerful experiences of my life, hearing this man preach uh, the gospel uh, in a language that was learned, uh, uh, not his native tongue, but he preached it like he, just a world-class pastor evangelist. And so, but the trip was fantastic. And I just have a lot of warm memories seeing these guys up here today. So anyway, it's, it's flashback Friday and uh, let's flashback. I, I, I was married for about 10 days. Uh, when this picture was taken and hopefully it's, there it is, there's There's after 10 days. Oh yeah, Karen looks exactly the same. I mean, she's just uh, the unchanging one. I was 19 in this photograph and what's wrong with that? Some of you that are 19 are saying, I'm gonna change that much? <laughs> I thought this was what I looked like. Oh no! You are not what you are going to look like. Okay, so get over it. Whatever you saw this morning in the mirror, that ain't you. Okay, that, you're just passing through. That's like a town you're driving past, super fast. Like, what was that? No, you're you're gonna look like something else. But I had my Sperry topsider shoes on and my, my Henry Gretel shirt, little button-down collar, my little YSL belt. I still remember all this stuff I got at Marshalls, by the way, so. Um, how many love Marshalls? I love Marshalls, that's great. And we're living, we're living on top of the world right there. Now we're actually crashing in somebody else's house. We just got married in our little 500-foot apartment that was so small. True story, we, we rented a little cottage, it was 500 feet. We were in college together, the rent was 225 a month. Seriously, this, this apartment, I'm not exaggerating, was so tiny, you could sit on the toilet and flip pancakes at the same time. It was that small. I'm not joking, the toilet was here, there was a little wall, the oven was there, you could flip a pancake from sitting on the toilet that's a little apartment. So we weren't living large on top of that mountain right there. We were just kind of hanging out, but anyway, I just think it's cute. She's hanging on to me right there. That's good. We're still hanging on to each other uh, 37 years later. So. Oh. so. So you can you can fall in love at 18 or 19. We we knew each other for literally 4 weeks and we said we, we loved each other, and we talked about getting married in four weeks, like she talked about it. She goes, hey, what are you doing next August 14th? I go, I don't know. She goes, okay, the church is available. So I'm like, are, are we engaged? Did we just get engaged? That's how it worked back then. Not now, and not how it works now. She just found an open date, and I guess we're getting married, it's literally. She went and picked out a ring, told me to go down and look at it and, and sign up to pay for it. And then, uh, seriously, and it worked. I got to tell you, it worked. We're happily married. I don't know how it all happened, but it worked. Okay. So I want to take you on a little bit of a sharp pivot as I go into Romans 5. I want to teach you probably the most important sequence of scripture that has informed my life uh, in so many ways through the years. It's informed my leadership life, my faith life. If I was giving you a cornerstone for my own life on point A to point B, if today's point B and that's point A, these verses right here and how they taught me to think about things and how to organize life probably has been the most powerful template for me um, to get me to the stage of my life. But it has to do with perseverance, endurance, and we'll get to that. But I want to show you another picture real quick. Where's it at? Boom, right there. So that is, that's my niece. Her name is Mia. I'm going to tell you her story real quick. Now, I just want to warn you, this story is going to go into a tough place. So it's going to be a beautiful story, and then it's going to take a sharp turn. Um, But I wanted to lead in. So my sister, Terry, and her husband, Jimmy, had been missionaries in South Africa, and then they were in Liberia. And Liberia was being torn up by civil war in the last, really, 25 years, but the last decade. Very dangerous uh, area. They were in Monrovia, Liberia. And they were in the West End slums. If you want to Google West End slums, it is really the low point of humanity on planet Earth. It's, a, it's like a landfill that goes out into the water, and it's entirely a landfill of garbage. And it's like a big dump. Thousands of Liberians who are poor live there. They've dug tunnels. They have dug caves. And they live and exist in this garbage dump called the West End Slums. So they were ministering there, and they had adopted two kids from South Africa, Sam and Jesse, uh, back in the early 90s, and they, or the mid 90s, and they were discarded in Soweto right after apartheid ended in 92 or 93. Um, Soweto was a, a township that was controlled by the government that was a forced living space and it was part of the international cry uh, to end apartheid, which was a system of separation uh, between white and black, and you've studied apartheid. And it was established in nineteen forty, the late 40s, um, and it was established by not just the Dutch government, but the Dutch church. And so there was, there was a theology behind that separation, and that's part of the pathology of of a socially constructed world that mixes this meshing of false teaching, um, using religion as a basis for power. And it's an ugly story, but it came to an end. But it was the deep-seated colonization and hatred and separation was in the water supply. So it's going to take a long time for South Africa to fully heal. But There was in Soweto, um, babies were discarded, and they found these two little babies uh, with, I believe an umbilical cord was connected to one of them. And so they had adopted Sam and Jesse years earlier in South Africa. Now they were in Liberia. Sam and Jesse are in their early teenage years. And they go to this orphanage just to help minister to these people. And in the back room was a box with a Downs child uh, down syndrome autistic, they didn't know what the diagnosis quite was, but there was disab- a learning disability in this infant that was evident. Discarded literally in a box and, um, and unwanted, and no one is ever going to adopt this kid. It, it, like, just picture, they're in Monrovia, Liberia. It, it, this child that's, that has all of these disabilities is by itself in the back corner, and Terry and Jimmy walk through the orphanage and lay eyes on this little discarded human. And, and my sister just, I believe the words are something like, Jesus said, uh, um, this is me. And they said, this is, we want to adopt Mia. And they were like, you want to adopt this child? <laughs> this child has no hope or future. And so they adopted Mia and our whole family rejoiced. We have 13 adopted children in our immediate family of my siblings and my cousins. We have 13 kids, children um, that are brown or black that are not white. There's been some adopted kids that were white in the mix, but primarily just kids from around the world and around this country and it's, it's very powerful love. And these, these, so Mia was uh, part of this norm that came into our family and we rejoiced And so then shortly thereafter, she developed some medical issues, and they found out her heart was deformed, and they could not perform the surgery and through a series of miracles. The University of Washington in Seattle, uh, the head pediatric heart surgeon was the father to my wife's best friend, Jenny Busick, who was the head coach of the Sacramento Monarchs WNBA team. She's now the second only female who's a bench coach for the Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban just hired her. So she was in, in our church. And she's my wife's best, best friend. And so we're telling Jenny about this. She says, well, my dad's a heart surgeon up in Washington. So we get him on the phone. They get on the phone, in Liberia and the university of Washington pays for and flies her back and they perform the heart surgery, open heart surgery on Mia for free miracle, but it's, it's going to be a two year recovery. So my sister and her husband lost their missionary status. For a period of time in Liberia and they had to go pastor a church in Washington and it it disrupted their life. They didn't expect that turn when they reached out in compassion because you think the reward for compassion is always going to be a blessed life. Like, okay, I'm going to be rewarded with convenience and prosperity because I'm compassionate toward this person. Well, that act of compassion disrupted their life. And, I, and I'm not talking about caring for a special needs child. We're talking about the loss of their entire missionary framework and funding. Now they're scrambling. And they're scrambling because they reached out in love. So you're trying to reconcile all this. And now they're back there. In the, but praise God for the surgery. We're happy Mia had the heart surgery. And here's where the story takes a pivot. So Mia, about six months after the surgery, in her sleep, just passed away. So she passed away, um, after all that. And yeah, that's how we felt. That's what we said on the other end of the phone. Huh? After all this? All that effort, all that prayer, all those miracles? She's gone? Okay, hmm. She had to reconcile, but then I thought of Romans 5. Romans 5 says, therefore, verse 1, having been justified by faith, I think we have the clicker, boom, boom. Is it going? Boom. Someday, there we go. Looking at me, it was cool, so that was good. So, therefore, having been justified by faith, and man, we could do a deep dive on the beauty of justification. What puts a person in right standing with God to be justified is to be in right standing on, before the cross, if I was to draw a large cross up here, and we had pre-Jesus and Old Testament and post-Jesus and the New Covenant, the pre-Jesus world was justified through these through these. Minimum payments on the credit card. Now, what I mean by that was we're born with this deficit in this debt. And people born before Jesus came were living in hopes of this coming promise. The way we look back to it, they looked forward to it. And the way that they got in on justification and positioned themselves to receive the benefit of redemption when Christ physically came and his blood shot both ways. His blood shot like a big cannon off a, off a military navy ship. Boom, it blew backwards and went back into time. And it covered those who by faith were looking in hope of his coming. So they were justified by their anticipation of the promise of God. And the blood of Jesus went this way. And we know that because when Christ cried out, it is finished, Some dudes got up out of the grave from the Old Testament and he walked around Jerusalem for a while. One of the craziest scenes in the Bible. And it was a down payment and it was telling us that the work of Christ went backwards. It just didn't cover Peter's sin and my future sin. It went all the way back. And so that was a glimpse that the atoning work of Christ was for all of humanity, even those who looked toward it, And so what they did in anticipation of Jesus is that they would make a minimum payment on the credit card. Anybody ever had a $1,000 debt on the credit card or a $5,000 debt? And you get your bill and you could pay the entire amount or you can make a payment that's a minimum payment. Minimum payment just keeps the collectors away. But you're still in debt, okay? Every time they would sacrifice an animal, every time they'd bring an offering to the Lord, every time there would be that day of atonement in the Old Testament. It was a minimum payment on the debt, but it didn't remove the debt. But that's all they could do. That was the plan, just make minimum payments on this thing. So they did, but then Jesus came, and Jesus did one thing in his death. Imagine if I walked up to Alex Grant and I said, Alex, I want to give you a million dollars For your dream. Okay? And who's ever sitting next to you gets half of it. Right there. (laughs) Alex, I'm going to give you a million bucks. to, To fund your dream. But Alex looks at me. He doesn't dance or smile. He goes, that's cool, but I got $5 million of debt. So even if you give me money to purchase the dream, I'm still living with the debt. Or imagine if I walked up to Alex and said, Alex, uh, I want to set you up for the future. I'm going to pay off your debt. And he goes, yeah, that's great, but, but now I have no money to fund the dream. So when Jesus died, he wrote a check on Calvary. Okay, When he signed it on Calvary, he wrote a check. The check was so fat, it was so big, there were so many zeros in that check. It did two things. It paid off the debt and it purchased the salvation. Okay? In one signature, move both directions. We're satisfied. We're justified by faith. We get to simply, wholeheartedly believe in both the high priest and the sacrificial lamb that was one. And his promises to us become what we believe and attach to the way that they offered Old Testament sacrifices. But when we trust in the promise, it pays off the debt and it purchased our salvation. That's how big that check was. Okay. That's why we love the Lord in this room today. Okay, So justified by faith, not by offering or sacrifice. So we believe in the promise that what Jesus said is true. And it says that we, therefore, have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Christ, through whom we've also obtained our Introduction. And it means literally to come into a safe harbor. Real fast, here we go. By faith into this place of grace. And grace always means new beginning. Grace is an act of Genesis, it's a beginning point. That's what grace does every day. His grace is sufficient. It always provides Genesis, it provides beginning points for us. And so here it says, it's just our intro. You can't live your life off that intro. Justification by faith is the beginning point. He says, therefore, we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt, same word, in tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Let me walk you through this super fast. We can't live in that harbor, that safe harbor of, of simply justification. We've been introduced. If I met Karen on our wedding day, August 14, 1982, I said, hi, my name's Scott, my name's Karen. You're now man and wife. Mm-mm. Great to meet you. Let's reconnect in Minneapolis in 35 years. Okay, I'll see you in 35 years. Now that we've been introduced, I'll see you later. The chances of us producing children and grandchildren or producing anything would never be realized because of the introduction. Our life is produced not because we met Jesus. It's because we live and abide with Jesus and we dwell with Jesus. And our connection point is not simply the introduction point. Okay, so... Everything that you perceive in a fruitful leader's life that loves the Lord, men and women all over this room, the proven life, connecting with the promising life. That's what this university is all about. Is because people have gone beyond, far beyond the introduction. So, what is what's it like to move in with the Lord in a covenant? Here's the characteristics it says, first of all, I want you to exalt in the glory of God. That's pretty easy. Getting excited about the presence and the idea here on the glory of God is his future glory. So exalt this spontaneous eruptive overflow of praise, of joy, of affection, both bodily, verbally. I'm exalting in the hope of the glory of God. Who is isn't excited really about heaven? I get it. Even though we only have a couple tiny little descriptives about heaven, we, we actually have probably more describing hell than heaven. But what I'm saying is, even with that glimpse of heaven, the gold in the gates and the city of 1,500 miles high and wide, we're given actually the metrics of it. The new Jerusalem coming down with the new earth. New heavens and new earth. There's, we, we just can't imagine it. But we know enough to be excited about it. That's easy. But then it says we exalt in our tribulation. The word here is daily pressure, daily care. Not the great tribulation marked by the three and a half or seven year experience, depending on your theology, of of the great tribulation period of time, but the tribulation of daily cares, the stuff that just kind of weighs you down of having to get from point A to point B and having to manage sickness and bills and life and people and relatives and just daily cares. He said, we rejoice in our tribulation or our difficulty. How do you have the same kind of overflow for pain as you do for eternity, I, I I want to go to heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? I, I just don't want to die. You know, I don't. I really am not looking forward to that. I don't know about that process. I walk into Walmart and I'm standing in line in this crazy age. I go, okay, if the gunman comes in there, I'll jump behind here. We live in a crazy world. I was flying one time, true story. I'm flying to Brazil with my wife. I'm young in the faith. I'm going down there to preach. We are in a torrential storm we're over the amazon jungle in this prop jet for hours at night (laughs) lightning is hitting outside it looks like it's hitting the wing and we are going to crash i know we are going to crash i don't live by fear but i know we're going down there's no way we're surviving this like that thing and so i'm saying okay lord when we hit the jungle Lord, please, just take me on impact. Don't let the plane car wheel, and an arm comes off, another arm comes off, a leg comes off, another leg. And then I'm laying there, a conscious torso with a snake on my face. (laughs) You know, please take me when we hit. How many know what I'm talking about? How do we exalt in tribulation? Because... We have the Bible, and it tells us where tribulation is taking us. I've just got two minutes. Here we go. If you don't know where tribulation is taking you, you're lost. You've lost your coordinates. Fear dominates. Lose your way. You bite and devour one another and yourself. Can we get a piano player to come up with musicians, please? Now watch this. We exalt in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So... Okay, most of us have always by nature handled our problems by running. We we flee tribulation, we split. When the pressure builds, we're gone. But now we know the Bible, we're studying scripture. Scripture says we persevere. What does this word persevere mean? It simply means to stand still outside in the rain. I'm gonna stand here and take it. I'm gonna change one behavior as a believer now instead of running from my problems because fundamentally as a christian the first point of growth in your life is how you handle problems prior to knowing jesus or maybe you grew up in church but didn't know the bible now you're going to be exposed to romans 5 now you're learning the bible the early step cannot be a you can't have a misstep with perseverance you have to stand. It literally means to stand in the storm, stand still in the rain and just take it. Before you ran at the first drop, I'm out of here. Slam, you know, you got young husbands, you know, slamming the door and spinning their tires out and spitting gravel and blah, 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 and going down and getting drunk because that's how their dad did it. And whenever the pressure builds, you split. But now you're a Christian. You love the Lord and you're learning God's word. And the early move of a growing Christian at this stage of one of the early moves is that you stand still under pressure and you don't run. That move, that one move has the chance now to change the trajectory of your life, how? Because it says you exalt in tribulation because you know where tribulation is taking you. The first instruction is to stay put in the storm. Okay, I used to run, now I'm going to stand still. So a young couple that fights and screams about money, they're in their 20s, they're screaming, yelling, pushes the table away, goes out, gets drunk. They've done this about every three months. He becomes a believer or he's a church goer, but now he's learning the Bible and he sees this verse. He feels that anger rise up at the table, but this time for the first time in his life, instead of pushing the table away, he sits still and he perseveres. And it says perseverance produces proven character. This word is powerful. See, it doesn't just say character, it says proven, because righteousness and right living cannot be an experiment. The Lord leaves you in the storm long enough that you have to stand in the rain long enough to exhibit new behavior. So now the young guy, instead of screaming at his wife and getting in the car and ripping out of the parking lot or the driveway, stays at the coffee, dinner table, dining table there, and simply by staying there, his voice drops, he starts to talk and collaborate, He starts to behave differently solely because he's not running. That move, that one move in your leadership life of staying in the storm, staying under the pressure, getting wet, getting cold, staying in the storm instead of running for your own man-made shelter. That one move is now gonna give you a shot at becoming everything that God intended for you to be because it says, that perseverance produces proven character because you're forced now to behave differently. And the Lord knows how long to keep the storm raging until you do it right enough times that it becomes embedded, ingrained, it becomes revelation, it becomes a better way of life so that when the rain stops, you will continue to behave that way. It's proven character, not just character. So perseverance stays The storm, the tribulation, you're standing, you're behaving in a different way, you're lowering your voice, you're seeking counsel, you're getting help instead of just raging and giving your opinion about that and thinking that the world is against you. Nobody's against you. Nobody is against you, okay? Well, I'm sure there's a few people who are against you. Because I have people against me. But who cares? They're a blip on the screen. They're part of the tribulation. Tribulation's taking you somewhere. You're staying in the storm. You're behaving differently and you're going, wait, wait a minute. I've never acted this way over time. I've never proven it enough where it went from experiment to established. And then the Bible says that proven character produces hope. We're done here and hope doesn't disappoint. Now watch us, and we're done. Why does proven character produce hope? Because there's something euphoric about seeing your own life change. Because you look in the mirror and go, I know you, dude. You've never behaved this well for this long. And Jesus must really be in me. I read the story of a guy. He was a drug dealer. He was staying at the, what's that pyramid? The Excelsior Hotel in Vegas. He had the $10,000 a night room at the very top of the Excelsior in Vegas. He had three women in his bed, three women. He had cocaine, cocaine, and meth piled up on the dresser. He had a loaded gun. He had $50,000 of cash. He had a, a, a Maserati in the parking garage of the Excelsior. He's in the penthouse suite, got three women in his bed, a loaded gun, Coke and meth, 50,000 cash in a Maserati. He's doing it all. He's doing the drugs, power, cash, sex. He's doing it all at the same time. And he, He told the story that he had it all right there. He was 30 years old. He did it all. He had it all. He climbed to the top of Mount uh, uh, Carnality or Mount Indulgence or Mount Flesh, whatever you want to call it. And he did the drugs. He did the sex. He did the cash. All of it. He got to the very top. He did it all. And he said, man, is that all there is? That's it? But I've still yet to ever meet a sinner saved by grace who began to learn God's word, who finally began to stay in the storm instead of running from all of their problems and blaming the world around them. I've never seen that person who stayed in the storm long enough to see their own behavior begin to transform to the point they looked in the mirror and they saw transformation. I've never seen anybody begin to climb that mountain of transformation where they begin to see Jesus is alive in their life. I've never seen them reach that point and go. Man, is that all there is? The Bible says that hope does not disappoint. You get to that place of transformation, you will never go back in your Christian faith, ever. Hope does not disappoint. Everything else in this world will, but hope will never disappoint. Let's stand together, you guys. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Let's lift our hands to the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Lord, just begin to prep this university, Lord, for spiritual life days with Reggie Dabbs coming, God. Lord, I pray that every student, Lord, that even is wondering if they're saved is going to get saved here, filled with the Holy Ghost, Lord, and power in their life. We pray, Jesus, that you would set our university on fire, God, that awakening, Lord, in America could come out of a university campus, Lord, like North Central, Lord. You've done it before. Do it again. We're hungry for you, Lord. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the day that we were introduced by faith and that we don't have to make a down payment on the debt. But Lord, you paid the entire debt and you purchased my salvation, Lord, through your blood. Thank you, Jesus, that we can exalt in tribulation and pressure, the pressure of college, because we know where tribulation is taking us. So Lord, I commit to that one move that I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run from the pressures. And Lord, leave them on me as long as it takes for me to change and transform. Do I, till I get to the place where I no longer experiment with righteousness, but you've transformed me, Lord, into your image, Lord. Let that proven character, Lord, in my life be evident, Lord. And Father, when I see that, when I experience it, Lord, it will produce hope and I will never be disappointed that I've taken this path ever. I will never be disappointed. Lord, people by the millions are disappointed with their Christianity because they're running from their problems. And they skip out on the biblical process to make them great. So Jesus, make us different. Make us whole. Make us one. We give you praise. Jesus' mighty name we're going to transition to prayer and uh, thank you for sticking a few extra minutes. It's Friday. And so the worship team's going to begin. If we could have the faculty that's here today come and line up across the front for a little bit of your time, but the faculty can do this. And if you need prayer today, or you just can stand and worship, please go sign up for Antioch. Let me tell you something. What a powerful thing on your resume. You go apply for a job at Thrive, and they go, what's the Antioch it's that We work with immigrants and people groups. What a phenomenal thing on your resume. You'll get hired because of your formal education, and equally, when they look and see what are your hobbies and interests, and when that resume says the Antioch Initiative, I have participated in people groups in the city. No matter what the context of your job is, trust me, friends, that's how I got this job. They looked at all the stuff I've done that I wasn't paid to do. And they said, that's the leader we want. So please, let's grow the Antioch Initiative. That society is powerful. Sign up for that. These altars are open. There's some staff and faculty here. Let's begin to worship. How many glad you came to chapel today? Man, carry the word in your heart. Let's just begin to worship him today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.